Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, this is Dr. Susan, and welcome to Occupy Health. Here we want the listener to know all sorts of things he can do to be proactive in his health, uh, what we can do to maintain optimal health, what we should eat, what behavioral practices that will help us in this quest. And today, I'm honored that we have a extremely a rep, a great expert, Jeffrey Smith. He's a leading consumer advocate promoting healthier, non-GMO choices. His feature-length documentary, Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Life, was awarded the 2012 Movie of the Year Award from the Solari Report and the Transformational Film of the Year in the Aware Guide. His books include Seeds of Deception. This is one of the world's largest bestsellers on GMOs. Also, he wrote Genetic Roulette, The Documented Health Risk, of genetically engineered foods. So welcome, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. And you are, see as you're one of the prominent leaders in trying to make people aware of what GMO foods can be doing to us, the health risk of not only the GMO engineering, but the glyphosate and the pesticides, herbicides they use to grow these crops. So what got you interested in this area? Well, in 1996, I went to a lecture by a genetic engineer who blew the whistle, basically saying that the technology was not ready for prime time. It was totally uh, dangerous because the most common result of genetic engineering was surprise side effects. And in spite of that, companies like Monsanto had announced that we're about to plant in 96 the seeds of Roundup Ready crops throughout Iowa where I lived, which are genetically engineered crops altered to withstand doses of Roundup herbicide. So now you have the Roundup herbicide in our food and you have the genetic engineering done to the crops which can create allergens or toxins or carcinogens and unknown things and no one knew about it at the time there was no required safety studies and once released into the environment it could cross-pollinate and be a permanent feature of the gene pool with no way to recall it or to clean it so this became uh, very concerning when I heard about it and there was really no strategy in the United States or around the world that looked effective to try and dislodge this technology. So I decided to get involved to start translating the science into into well-understood English, and I've been doing that ever since for 22 years, interviewing scientists, creating books and movies, and giving a thousand lectures in 45 countries, etc. And so now we've had a lot of progress, and people are aware of GMOs, and it's making a difference. Well, thank you for that. I mean, our listeners really are appreciative of this. But what do you mean nobody knew about this? Wasn't the FDA and EPA, weren't they involved? Well, 
Hardly anyone in the United States knew about a GMO in 1996. The FDA did, but they had been instructed by the White House to promote GMOs back in 1991. So they created a new position for Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney, to be in charge of the policy at the FDA. And while he was there, he was in charge of the policy of GMOs, in charge of the policy of bovine growth hormone, which is a genetically engineered cow drug by Monsanto. And we found out later, because of documents made public from a lawsuit, that the policy that he created was based on, on fraud that uh, it said that the agency wasn't aware of information showing that GMOs were significantly different, and on that basis, no testing was necessary and no labeling was necessary. Companies could put the product onto the market without even telling the FDA. However, when the documents were made public, it turned out that the overwhelming consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was exactly the opposite, that GMOs were different and dangerous and needed to be tested. And so they ended up putting this dangerous technology onto the market based on Monsanto's former attorney, who later became Monsanto's vice president, and then returned to the FDA as the U.S. food czar under Obama. So it was not based on science, but on politics and collusion and, and corruption that we have GMOs on the marketplace. And now, when we look at the impact it's had on our health, it's probably been one of the most serious uh, negative consequences of our health of anything we're facing right now. That is very frightening. I believe our colleague uh, Stephen Drucker has come up with the memos from the scientists within the FDA uh, expressing great reservation about uh, the decision to proceed with GMOs, but they were silenced. Yes, he was the one that pioneered the lawsuit that got the 44,000 secret internal memos made available. And he talks about, he, he describes it as one of the biggest frauds perpetrated onto the American people in history. I don't know because I don't know all the frauds, but certainly the impact has been significant. We, in the film that uh, Amy Hart and I just released called Secret Ingredients, we refer to more than 30 diseases that are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and the increased use of Roundup sprayed on the GMOs. And correlation, of course, doesn't improve causation, but when you look at the full picture and all the evidence which we have, I'm confident that GMOs and Roundup are driving up disease rates significantly. And just to add to this mix further, uh, E.G. Bellionados and the EPA has stated that uh, the, the studies were non-existent. The lab did four months of studies and then made up the data for the next two years on any agro-product that the industry wanted, and that was totally fraudulent. And, and actually, he also said that people in the EPA knew that glyphosate, which is the herbicide that's connected with GMOs, they knew it caused cancer. Yet every, the government was turning a blind eye and promoting these things on us. Yeah, there was a uh, an evaluation of Roundup uh, glyphosate. Actually, the EPA doesn't doesn't require data on the full formulation, just the so-called active ingredient, and so they're way behind the times. But nonetheless, they got data showing that there was tumor formation in rats or mice that were exposed to Roundup or to glyphosate, and they called it a probable or a possible human carcinogen. And then Monsanto actually hired someone to, uh, to counteract 
and to argue the case with the EPA. And they were able to successfully argue it year after year after year until finally they had the right people in the EPA that just gave up and said it's not a carcinogen. Uh, it turns out at one point they also hired someone to figure out that glyphosate did not cause the changes in the human DNA uh, in terms of uh, mutations or oxidative stress, which are the mechanisms by which cancer is formed. So they hired, they contracted with the probably the best person in the world, Dr. Parry, to evaluate the uh, impact of glyphosate on the cells and on the DNA, hoping that he would come across, he would be able to argue the point. But what happened was his, they gave him a, a few a few of the studies to evaluate, and he came up with the conclusion that actually it's likely that it causes uh, the mechanisms that cause cancer. And so uh, we now know from the documents made public from a recent lawsuit that the and the people at the at, at Monsanto said, has he ever worked for industry before? It's like he got the wrong answer. He's supposed to come up with the answer that it's safe. So they gave him all the information, and he evaluated it and said, nope, actually this is more information that shows that it actually causes cancer or causes the changes that can cause cancer. And so instead of passing that information on to the EPA, which Monsanto was legally bound to do, they buried his report Ghost wrote a study, a, a review study that became the basis for the EPA and other, and other regulatory agencies to declare that glyphosate did not cause cancer. So they ghost wrote a false report. It became a popular reference, and glyphosate was allowed to go down the market without any, uh, without any link to cancer. Then we have another document that was made public, a letter from a former EPA uh, senior toxicologist who had to leave because she got cancer, and so she wrote a letter to the person who was in charge of the EPA committee that was to review glyphosate, and basically said that it's indefinite that glyphosate causes cancer, but this person, she charged him with basically changing final reports to satisfy the needs of the company, and said that someone that he'd been working with was could have been taking bribes from the industry because what she said made no sense and that he personally was incompetent to evaluate the safety or the carcinogenicity of glyphosate. Well, it turned out this person, Jess Rowland, was Monsanto's lapdog because we also have evidence that he actually was working privately for Monsanto's interests while working at the EPA. And sure enough, that he chaired the committee in the EPA that determined that glyphosate did not cause cancer and then worked on behalf of Monsanto to stop another government agency's evaluation of the carcinogenicity of glyphosate and worked on behalf of Monsanto and said to Monsanto, if I could kill this research, I deserve a medal. So he was actually Monsanto's lapdog. And so we have evidence that both the FDA and the EPA had Monsanto people in it that allowed both GMOs and Roundup to go forward. That is so scary for us that live in the country and trust that the government's doing what's right for us. I mean, isn't glyphosate in just about anything like in Antarctica, in all of our human hair, in our food? in our breakfast cereal, in uh, fetus, unborn fetuses. Isn't it just about everywhere? It is pretty, it is pretty omnipresent. Uh, 
And what's happened is, and we bring this out in the movie Secret Ingredients, and people can go to secretingredientsmovie.com to see it. Um, it turns out that it's sprayed not just on the Roundup-ready crops. Most GMOs are Roundup-ready, designed by Monsanto to withstand sprays from their herbicide. But also it's sprayed as a desiccant to dry down the, the grains in this country, the, the wheat, the oats, the barley, etc. The also sprayed on beans to dry them down and also kill the weeds. So it's sprayed on lentils and mung and peas and also on, on several fruits and vegetables. It's found in wine and beer and orange juice. Its highest concentration is on oats because it goes right into the oat uh, portion that we eat. It's absorbed right in there, and they found the, the, your, the environmental working group just found it in every single children's breakfast cereal that had oats. So, uh, unfortunately, it's very much pervasive, and that's why we say it's very important for people to buy organic now. And if they can't buy organic, at least get non-GMO, but organic is the way to go. Now, if you look at the film, Secret Ingredients, you're not just doing this out of a sense that it might be a problem. We have people in the, in, the, in the film that switch to organic and their autistic sons were no longer autistic. The infertile couples were able to have children, people who had cancer or skin conditions or depression or allergies or all sorts of things reversed when the individuals or their families switched to organic. So it was, it's quite an amazing journey when you see that, and it's not just one-offs. It's not just people that we happen to find that they must have been doing something else at the same time because we have doctors describing same thing in their practices when, with their patients. Not every patient, but a certain percentage of their patients, just by switching to organic, things change and they get better. Yes, I highly recommend this movie, folks, Seeds of Deception. No, I've no, seen I know. it. The it's very called, good. The movie's called... The movie is called Secret Ingredients. I'm sorry. My bad. The book, um, secret the book was Secret Ingredients. The book was Seeds of Deception. The movie's Secret Secret Ingredients. Yes, my, my bad. Yeah, it's very good. He's got lots of people talking about their conditions and how their lives are being ruined and then how it got, that got better. I mean, so this, uh, I see, is hope for the planet if people watch this film and uh, start uh, eating organic so prove their own health, and send a message to manufacturers that we don't want this. Absolutely. So hey, what's, happened with the GMO, yeah. what's happened with the GMO issue is that we have educated enough people about the health dangers so that the message has gone to the manufacturers simply because they can't sell their products that are containing GMOs to the people that are concerned about it. And 46% of Americans say they seek products that are non-GMO. And so that's more than enough to create the, the uh, tipping point where food companies are now removing GMOs to maintain market share. Well, thank you, Jeffrey, because you are a prime leader in making this happen. So thank you for that. Sure. Isn't uh, leaving the glyphosate and all these nasty chemicals aside, let's just look at the part about genetically modified uh, tell me about research uh, researchers who worked just on a genetically modified aspect and what happened to them. Uh, well, that's been interesting to, to find out the way that Monsanto uh, deals with the uh, negative results. Uh, 
people could go to uh, responsibletechnology.org, our website for the Institute for Responsible Technology, and watch a five-part series of me interviewing Brent Wisner, who is the amazing attorney who led the case in San Francisco where a jury awarded a groundskeeper $289 million of Monsanto's money because they determined that Monsanto's roundup caused his cancer and that they hid the information and acted with malice. And Brent is a brilliant attorney. I was on the, the TV show The Doctors with him for an hour, and he, he, he has some insights because he had a chance to review so many of Monsanto's secret memos in preparation for his, uh, his court case. And he talks about a budget item called Let Nothing Go, where if there's any, any scientist that discovers a problem, even posts at Facebook or on Twitter, they have a team, a highly paid uh, machine to attack the individual, uh, the post, etc., so I've been tracking this since uh, the 1990s with Dr. Arpad Pustai, who discovered that the process of genetic engineering caused massive damage to rats in just 10 days. He was fired from his job after 35 years in silence with threats of a lawsuit. Uh, Dr. Seralini was, was the uh, subject of libel. He actually sued and won. And the judge determined that the people working on behalf of Monsanto were guilty of libel. Um, people have been uh, threatened. They have uh, been attacked in all sorts of ways. And that's consistent. It's even described in the journal Nature that it's a knee-jerk reaction to anyone that discovers there's a problem that they are attacked even personally. Yes, I talked to Dr. Pustai's family and other people, and they said that uh, Monsanto called up Clinton, who called up Tony Blair and asked to silence Pustai, and that's rather tragic because he was an esteemed researcher. I've talked to Dr. Serolini, and he said uh, through discovery they found several folders just on him and how to discredit him. And I understand other researchers, as you referred to, even met more uh, violent uh, attempts. So this is this is pretty scary that we're shutting down honest researchers who can give us insight as to the health risk. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I've been giving the voice for years. Uh, the whole story of Dr. Arpad Pustai is in the first chapter of my book, Seeds of Deception. Um, which, as you mentioned, became the world's best-selling book on GMOs, and that was because of the uh, the whole story uh, format of people who were who lost their job, who were fired, who were threatened, and what they discovered to incur the wrath of Monsanto. Wow, that's really frightening. So, the bottom line here is that we've got the genetically modified process itself, which causes a health risk, although Mother Monsanto wants to make sure we never hear about it. And then the glyphosate, you know, which is getting a lot of attention, has got a lot of documented health effects. Can you tell us about those? Yes. So uh, glyphosate is interesting. I mean, <clears throat> if you think about the human body, there are certain fundamental systems and hormones and neurotransmitters and parts of cells that are fundamental for health. And it seems like glyphosate 
and the more toxic full formulation Roundup, which can be 125 times more toxic than glyphosate alone. It seems like it's designed to damage virtually every one of those systems. So, for example, <clears throat> glyphosate is an antibiotic. It was it was uh, originally patented as a as a chelator to kill to clean boilers and pipes because it grabs onto minerals and makes them unavailable. And because it grabs onto minerals and making them unavailable, that kills certain bacteria. Now, the bacteria that it kills are mostly the healthy bacteria, the stuff that we want, the lactobacillus, etc. It doesn't easily kill the pathogens. And so the what happens is, since it's in our food, we believe that it creates an imbalance of gut bacteria killing the beneficial ones and allowing pathogens to grow. Now, there are experts at gut bacteria that say that basically if you have an imbalance in gut bacteria or the microbiome as it's called, then that's the basis for most diseases. That the most diseases, the etiology involves the gut bacteria. The gut bacteria is involved in detoxification. It's involved in the immune system. It's involved in digestion. It produces certain uh, uh, vitamins, etc., and so just by doing that, you end up setting the stage for many diseases. Now, in addition, glyphosate dismantles or or blocks the ability of gut bacteria to produce serotonin, or it can based on what we understand and how it works, serotonin and melatonin and dopamine, which are neurotransmitters necessary for feeling good, and so you end up linking now stress and anxiety and depression, as well as sleep disorders because of these neurotransmitters, as well as pain and Parkinson's and other things that, that rely on these, these um, neurotransmitters. In addition, inside the gut, glyphosate can separate the tight junctions along the walls of the intestines. That's called leaky gut, and that's linked to a long list of diseases because um, what can happen is that the bacteria, chemicals, and also undigested proteins can go straight into the, into the blood system, blood supply, and then the immune system attacks, and then you end up with inflammation, allergies, food sensitivities, autoimmune disease. It's also linked to cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, to name a few. It also blocks the minerals so that we end up with mineral deficiency, and so many of the diseases that we're facing right now are based on mineral deficiency as well. It also is toxic to the mitochondria, which means that a lot of the other systems and functions of the body can become disabled, and that can also explain the brain fog and the fatigue because the mitochondria is the energy centers of our bodies, and they're also involved with, with cancer and aging. It's also a class 2A carcinogen, According to the World Health Organization, it also is an endocrine disruptor. It blocks the production or the dissemination of, of digestive enzymes. And I'm just getting started. So you can see that basically the fundamental mechanisms underlining and underpinning our health are damaged by the glyphosate and the Roundup. Yeah, I would like to reaffirm that we've got many speakers on this show 
that emphasize the importance of the gut because with a leaky gut and undigested proteins getting into the bloodstream, you start an uh, antibody response, autoimmune reaction, cross mimicry, attacking other organs. And that most experts believe is the start of many autoimmune diseases. So the importance of the gut is paramount. But also when the gut barrier is disrupted, very often the blood brain barrier is disrupted. And according to the experts I've spoken to, uh, glyphosate disrupts the blood brain barrier and disrupts the cell's ability to communicate with each other, which I don't see that coming to a good end. No, it's true. I, I, I have this series called Healing from GMOs and Roundup. Um, people can sign up for for the next time we make it available. And I interviewed Dr. Zach Bush, and he believes that intercellular communication is actually the basis of health and the basis of disease is the lack of intercellular communication and points to glyphosate as um, specifically hampering intercellular communication uh, so is the basis of so many diseases. And my college roommate, Stephanie Seneff, says that, well, it binds to minerals like aluminum, and since it goes through the blood-brain barrier, it could just bring all this stuff into our brain. And there's a lot of research connecting aluminum and various toxins with cognitive decline and and diseases such as Alzheimer's. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Stephanie has been so important in putting the uh, tension between glyphosate and autism because originally... um, uh, I, uh, she was trying to figure out the cause of autism. She's an expert at big, big data and, and computer, um, computer science. And she pulled all the data about autism, all the different studies, to figure out what's actually happening in the body of an autistic person. And she <clears throat> said that she could tell why uh, the physiological changes of an autistic person would create the symptoms, but she couldn't figure out what environmental insult was causing the changes. And so she pulled the data on all of the different toxins in the environment that she knew about, and nothing fit hand in glove until she went to a lecture by Dr. Don Huber speaking about glyphosate. She had never actually heard about glyphosate and never even considered it, but she told me she sat on the edge of her chair for two hours, and then when she pulled all the data... That seemed to fit hand in glove with glyphosate, uh, with, with uh, the the things that were driving the autism. And then she also did a paper on gluten sensitivity and celiac, and found out that it fit hand in glove there too. So, based on the biochemistry, she has a lot of powerful theories that need to be uh, verified with some empirical data. But the theories are very power- our theories are very strong. And she also has a response to the industry line. It doesn't affect any human pathway, but she proposes that it affects a very important pathway, the shikimate pathway in our gut, which uh, our bacteria use, which we need for to maintain our health because the microbiome is very important in our overall health. Absolutely. And I talked to you earlier about the... Um the neurotransmitters, serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. The shikimate pathway is, you see, Monsanto bragged for years that the shikimate pathway is in plants and not humans, and therefore, because glyphosate's action is to block the shikimate pathway, it's basically harmless to humans. Uh, And it turns out that the gut bacteria use the shikimate pathway to produce the aromatic amino acids, uh, tyrosine and L-tryptophan, which are the precursors 
to serotonin and dopamine. And serotonin then uh, it helps to create melatonin. So this disabling of the shikimate pathway turns out to be very significant for human health, uh, even though Monsanto claimed it was, a, was not a problem. So uh, that's a very interesting um, uh, one of the mechanisms that glyphosate does. It also messes up the gut bacteria, and we know that there's um, hormone cells along the gut wall that produce serotonin in conjunction with the gut bacteria. And if you don't have proper gut bacteria uh, interaction, then you can also block the serotonin that way. So there are ways that the whole neurotransmitter basis of our health can be uh, blocked through the use of glyphosate. Now, Michael Antonio, a researcher at King's College in London, also points out that glyphosate inhibits the liver enzymes, which means it stops our body from detoxing. And we've got exposure to so many toxins, it is kind of hard to pull out of the toxic soup of what exactly is causing all these increased diseases. I suspect it's just the whole toxic soup, of which glyphosate is certainly a winning contender. But if we can't get these toxins out of our body, they're just going to build up. And that, to me, is quite concerning as well. Yeah, this was an interesting thing about about its impact on the liver. Um, there may be liver enzymes. I, I know that Stephanie and, and Anthony Samsel talk about the P450 cytochrome pathway, which has uh, is involved in liver detox and how that can be messed up as a result of the presence of glyphosate. And so if that's the case where the liver is not detoxifying, it means that glyphosate becomes like the master key so that makes all the other toxins, which are normally detox in the liver, more powerful or more toxic. Now, Antonio's team discovered that uh, there's a very tiny amount of Roundup that was able to cause liver disease, specifically non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is, which is a precursor to cancer and many other problems. And uh, ultimately, 25% of Americans are struggling with some form of this disease. And so you wonder why. Well, the amount of glyphosate that caused on a per body weight per day basis so people talk about, oh, you give, you give so much of a, of a chemical to a, to a rat, if you translate it to humans, it'd be like eating a piano, piano's worth. But this was a, per, a glyphosate per body weight per day, so it was, it was brought down to the size of the rat. If you look at the amount per body weight per day that caused the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, you realize that the Environmental Protection Agency allows the amount of glyphosate in our water supply to be equal to 437,500 times the amount that caused the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. They don't pay any attention to the low-dose effects. That's, that's one of the problems of the EPA. That's how, why we know it's in, the, it's in the pocket of industry, because it ignores the low-dose effects, it ignores the endocrine disruption effects, and it doesn't have any respect for the fact that glyphosate can act at these low levels. So we may be causing liver problems throughout the population with simple basic environmental exposure and food, basic food exposure to glyphosate that's in our food supply. Now, Michael also told me he came to the U.S. for about a week, and I know him. He eats healthily, 
And when he returned to England, he found a level of glyphosate in his body that was equivalent to most of us in this country. And that level, his lab had determined, would cause great harm to the health. And that was just one week in the U.S. trying to eat healthily. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's like people say to me, when they go to Europe, all of a sudden they can eat the food that they couldn't eat here. Um, and you wonder why. And this could be one major reason. Also, what's concerning is uh, loud levels in this country. I mean, what, it went up to 1750. We're in the upper, I, I might have to figure dumbish wrong. We're in Europe, the upper limit is 300. So we keep raising the amount of allowable glyphosate so we can all be happy campers and keep eating it. Yeah, what happens with the EPA is that they tend to, um, they tend to do whatever works for industry rather than what works for, uh, for health. So uh, some years ago, because glyphosate was being sprayed on crops as a desiccant, instead of calculating what would be, help, what would be helpful, they simply increased the allowable residues on over 160 varieties of crops, uh, including, you know, all sorts of berries and citrus and whatnot. So they've basically been working with uh, the industry in that way. Why do you think this is happening? Why is American health being uh, co-opted by industry? Why is Congress allowing this? Well, you know, this is sort of the way democracy has fallen out. It's really um, driven by finance, driven by lobbying, driven by influence. You know, yeah, I think this is the bigger picture of why we don't have a, a democracy formed by the people. It's more of a corporatocracy. Uh, if you look at the basic uh, functions of the regulatory agencies, you can read books and see movies about how the EPA is basically dictated their policies a lot by the companies are supposed to regulate, same with big pharma, same with big ag. And so that's one of my issues as, a, as, a, as a, an activist is to um, point out the problems and to show that in the case of GMOs, if we take a, a strategy where our main focus is to try to change government policy, it's not a strong position. Uh, rather, if we change uh, individual eating habits, then we may end up in a situation where we can knock it out of the food supply without even changing policy, and that's exactly what the case is. And we can look to Europe for that, because everyone says, oh, Europe, Europe is completely enlightened on GMOs, but it turns out the European Commission and its FDA equivalent, the European Food Safety Authority, are pro-GMO. But... In, uh, when the gag order was lifted on Dr. Arpad Pustai on February 16, 1999, over 700 articles on GMOs were written in the U.K. alone within a month, and there was so much agitation and concern about GMOs, one editor said it divided society into two warring blocks, that the food companies realized they couldn't continue to sell GMOs to the aware European population, and so on April 27, 1999, just 10 weeks after the gag order was lifted, uh, Unilever said no more GMOs in Europe. The next day, uh, Nestle said the same thing, and within a week or two, virtually everyone else said the same thing. But the United States press didn't report it, and so the same companies that t took it out of the European 
food system continued to sell it to the unsuspecting American. And so it took, it took decades for us to actually educate Americans, not using mainstream media, but using, you know, the more demographically appropriate media, like your type of, of, of interview, so that people became aware, stopped using it, and then we started to see it being drummed out of the U.S. food supply rather quickly, because the first mainstream food company that declared non-GMO was only 2014, and that was Cheerios, and now we're seeing it, uh, you know, five years later, four and a half years later, and it's happening all over. Well, thank you for your leading this effort. Um, I recently announced a meeting in the Bay Area about an issue that, you know, corporate America is fond of, and that people are trashing me. I mean, people, I'm just wondering about the people in the community that they attack if you come up with questioning uh, the good graces of all these corporations. I mean, it's still kind of bizarre. Yes, yes. So the situation is, if you post something, if you come out and speak against GMOs with the truth, especially on social media, you're going to get often finding the trolls coming after you. And I wrote an article, people can Google it, might even be an Huffington Post, where what to do if you come up with a troll. See, they use shaming tactics. And so it is very, very important that people realize that you have to, that shaming works if you're susceptible. So they'll shame you, they'll come down, they'll try and make you very unpopular. And so what you do, of course, you, 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 block them, but you also point out, oh, it looks like we found a troll, and you can, you can reference people to that article about being a troll, about what a troll is and what, how they're being paid by Monsanto to create a situation where people become less likely to post. So we have to embolden people because this, this shaming technique has been used for centuries to guide people's behavior, and so we need to become antidoted to that. Yeah, I know. Well, I just, uh, if anybody listening is familiar with this, uh, I've just been trolled up the wazoo, but, you know, it scared the speaker off, but it's not scaring me off. Anyway, um, wasn't there a study in Indiana that 90% of pregnant women had glyphosate in their urine, and this is connected to shorter pregnancies and lower birth rates? Well, actually, you're, you're combining a couple of things. Uh, there was a study done in Canada. Uh, at Sherbrooke, at um, medical you know, medical hospital, where um, or university hospital, where ninety three percent of the pregnant women tested had uh, had BT toxin in their blood. They also had glyphosate. I don't know the percentage of glyphosate, but it was also in their in the placenta. So it was in the in the in the cord blood. So it was in the unborn fetus as well. And uh, the other studies have shown that glyphosate is toxic to red blood cells, uh, might be related to uh, leukemia and other problems with the blood. Um, the uh, high levels of glyphosate was also, in another study, uh, linked to um, earlier births, so, so shorter gestation times. And shorter gestation times are, in turn, linked to more uh, disease and problems in, in the offspring. So there's a lot, of, a lot of issues around reproduction and the fact that it gets into the bloodstream. You're wondering how it gets into the blood. Well, both glyphosate and BT toxin can create leaky gut, theoretically. Now, the BT toxin we haven't talked about, that's a toxin and insecticide in genetically engineered corn, 
cotton and in South America in soybeans, and it kills insects. They take, uh, they take soil bacteria, which can nor- normally kill insects by poking holes in the guts of the insects, and they put the gene from the bacterium into the, into the crop, and then they grow the crop out. So every single cell of these GMO crops have a gene-sized spray bottle, which produces this Bt toxin at thousands of times more uh, concentration than is used in the spray form. And even the spray in the lower concentration is linked to allergic reactions, immune reactions, etc. Well, it turns out when they put the Bt toxin in with human cells in a laboratory and under high concentrations, it pokes the same type of holes in the human cells that it's used to kill insects. So it might create leaky gut by poking holes inside the human cells, whereas glyphosate is linked to creating gaps between the cells. So whether it's intracellular or intercellular gaps, these are the two ways that leaky gut may be formed. And so you end up with holes perhaps in the cells of our bodies, which can help usher in, theoretically, both the Bt toxin and the glyphosate into the cells, into the bloodstream. And then if for pregnant women, it gets into their unborn fetuses, and because there's no blood-brain barrier that's, in, that's developed in the fetus, it can get in, theoretically into the brain, and that might explain some cognitive problems or other issues that we're seeing in this generation with this with the children that have grown up in the GMO uh, in the GMO generation. How could they possibly think that we're going to want to eat something that contains an insecticide that's going to attack our body? I mean, that's beyond my comprehension. Well, if you look, for example, at the at the uh, EPA or at Health Canada, they make an assumption that the Bt toxin does not have any interaction with humans or even with mammals. They claim that the Bt toxin, it starts out as a protoxin, meaning that it's a potential toxin, but it needs certain aspects of its protein to be cut off, and that doesn't happen unless it gets into a alkaline gut. Now, we don't have an alkaline gut. We have an acidic gut, and so this is their excuse. But it turns out, in order to make that excuse, they have to first ignore peer-reviewed published studies which show that humans and mice do interact and do react with two BT toxin spray. Uh, there is an immune response. There's also damage to the intestines. And so they ignore peer-reviewed published studies. But they also ignore the fact that the genetic engineers change the structure of the protein so it is active immediately and does not require the part of the protein to be cleaved. Instead, it's immediately toxic, and so their whole excuse as to why it shouldn't affect humans or mammals, first of all, it was wrong because there's empirical evidence it was wrong, and second, it's not even theoretically able to be supported because the, they've changed the molecule or they've changed the protein, making it immediately active and more toxic, more, more toxic than its uh, spray or than its natural counterpart. And, but it's still, if you look at the Health Canada website and the, the EPA, they still claim that it has no effect on humans or mammals. I testified before the EPA uh, many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and gave them a 15-page report which had those citations. It didn't change it because they're not really, uh, they don't, they're not beholden to science. They're beholden to their position, which is pro-GMO. Wow. 
Can you tell me some of the foods that are genetically modified? Because I assume for the most part we can't eat soy or corn in this country any longer. And I don't even know if I trust the stuff that Whole Foods labels as organic. Well, you know, some people will, won't eat even organic corn because there is some level of cross-pollination. We do recommend that <clears throat> organic is a safe haven, but it's not 100%. You know, it's not 100% guaranteed. Uh, so for some people who are extremely sensitive or concerned, they have opted out of all corn, all soy, like you say. Uh, but it is true that it's only about 93 or 94% of the soy and corn, so you have a large percentage enough for human, uh, for the human food grade for the natural products industry, etc. Uh, the corn on the cob is not that high level. Uh, it's much less, and there's no genetically engineered popcorn at this point. Uh, it's, not, it's a different subspecies, I'd say, and I don't know if it's a species or whatnot, but it's a different species, and it doesn't readily cross-pollinate with the regular corn. Uh, there's also cotton, which is used in cottonseed oil, and because it's Roundup-ready cotton, you find that there's glyphosate residues on tampons and, and gauze for bandages. Oh, my uh, it God. Should wash off. It should wash off of cotton shirts, so I recommend washing before you wearing, but you don't wash tampons, so it's not a safe, a safe product for women. I would go with the organic variety for sure because you have an endocrine disruption capability, you have a carcinogenic uh, disruption potential, you have all sorts of things that can occur from direct contact with glyphosate. And it was found in 85% of the samples of tampons that were tested that was tested in Argentina, but they used some products from the United States as well. Oh, um, you also have canola, which is used for canola oil. You have sugar beets, which are only used for sugar, not for table beets. So the sugar in the United States is over 50% from beets. Uh, you have alfalfa, which is used as hay for animals, particularly in dairy. Uh, you have some zucchini, yellow squash, some papaya from China or Hawaii. And you have apples, which are designed not to turn brown when they're sliced. And you have potatoes that are also designed not to turn brown when sliced and not to turn brown when bruised. And the, the, uh, I was corresponding with the maker of that potato who wrote a book you can get on Amazon called Pandora's Potatoes, the Worst GMOs. Now, he's the guy that created the potatoes sold by J.R. Simplot, and he says that they are so dangerous they could be creating toxins and, and diseases in humans. He did not know that when he created it, but only after he quit did he discover that there was, in fact, serious problems, and he outlines them in this beautiful book that's 75 pages. So uh, we, we like to recommend that people avoid GMOs, but obviously when you see the movie Secret Ingredients, you're going to want to avoid not just GMOs, but the glyphosate that's in the non-GMOs too, and so that's why eating organic is, is important. Yeah, isn't it also, I mean, I read somewhere it might be in aspartame and yeast that makes wine. The GMO, so GMOs are sometimes used as little factories in uh, laboratories. So you can turn, you can insert genes into bacteria or yeast and turn that into a factory to produce something. And so aspartame is one of those products. It was it's created from genetically engineered microorganisms, bacteria, and <clears throat> it turns out to be quite dangerous 
in our opinion, it's, it was the uh, subject of 80% of all consumer complaints for food additives by the FDA and linked to 92 different symptom categories from brain tumors to seizures. Uh, it was uh, the FDA said that the company G.D. Searle, which submitted the data for approval, was guilty of fraud and asked the Justice Department to investigate. And sure enough, there was fraud, according to many, but the lawyer let the statute of limitations run out and then joined G.D. Searle's law law firm for a lot of money, I think $400,000. So we have a situation where it it didn't pass muster with the FDA. The FDA did not want it to be approved. So G.D. Searle hired, hired Donald Rumsfeld to, to be its CEO, and then he was on the Reagan transition team and got Reagan to dismantle the powers of the FDA commissioner on his first day in office, and then Reagan put into, his, into the commissioner position a friend of Rumsfeld who, as his first major policy decision, approved aspartame uh, as a sweetener. And uh, we think it's quite dangerous, and we say friends don't let friends eat aspartame. Yet it's in every beverage in our hospital act. The hospital where I work in their cafeteria, it's in every beverage, and many beverages wow. in Europe. Scary. Well, we've got like about five minutes left. Is there anything you want to focus on? Obviously, I recommend people go see Secret Ingredients. Uh, you'll get a lot of information, and you'll walk out feeling you know a lot, and you know a lot that you can do to help your health go in the right direction. But what else would you like to communicate with the audience? Well, we'll start there. I want to say that uh, we have shown the film at at premieres and screenings around the country, and I've done pre- and post-test people rating themselves how what percentage of organic they've been eating beforehand and what percentage they plan to eat afterwards. And it converts the entire spectrum, whether it's the junk food person who's never bought organic or considered it, they become like, wow, I need to switch to organic. And even the foodie who's eating mostly organic. Now, one thing that we were told is that the, for the foodie who's been trying to convince their family members or their friends to switch to organic or at least go non-GMO, that the film is reliable and consistent in that manner too. And so a lot of people listening, especially to your show, because they've heard from a lot of people, scientists who've talked about the dangers of GMOs and Roundup, etc., and they've, they've probably tried and failed with certain members of their close circle, their family, their friends, to convince them to switch their diet. I'd like to recommend that they get them the, D, the DVD or the Blu-ray or, or gift them through iTunes the, uh, the online access to the film, and what can happen is if they, they're going to see that it's not just this good idea, but people are actually, their brain fog is going away, their eczema is going away, the autism uh, spectrum is, is, is being overcome, breast tumors, bloating, so many things. One family had 21 chronic conditions between five members of the family. When they switched to organic, they all went away. And Amy Hart, who is my co-director, does a magnificent job of bringing out the emotional stories in this, in this movie. So, so I'd like to recommend that this would, could be used as a, as a Christmas gift or a holiday gift to the people that you've been trying to convert or even the people that you haven't, but you just give them the movie and see what happens. And when they change their diet and get better, you'll become a hero. 
their lives will be changed, and you'll be helping towards the organic tsunami that we hope to create from this movie. So it's it's not just for personal it's not just for personal use. It's for activist use. It's for becoming an advocate to change the way America and the world eats. Uh, and we think that's the, we, we, I believe, and I'm very confident in this, that there's no other tool that has been created that's been so efficient and effective at, con- at convincing people to eat organic. And so let's use it as a tool. Now that it's new and available, let's get it out there in, in mass. And then once people do that, we're, gonna put, we're putting together uh, a support mechanism, a support system to help people become uh, consistent, organic eaters and to help others do the same. Now, were you pondering having people show this in their homes to bring in a wider community involvement? Is that a possibility? Absolutely. And we also are putting together what we call a community screening licensing for people who want to have, uh, you know, hold it in libraries or whatever. Uh, We want to be able to make that available too. And so we will have a showing kit and a license and all that. But absolutely, the the, the living room presentation is so necessary. And since we have, you know, the, the holidays coming up, people may want to use that as, a, as one of the films to show. Well, I want to thank you for that, uh, for all the, I mean, you know, I'm just so glad that you're in our country and kind of helping us limp toward a better direction. We've got like a minute and a half left. Is there any information on, you want to give on your websites and how to contact you? Sure. So uh, secretingredientsmovie.com is the website for the movie. You can watch it right there on your computer. Or you can link over to iTunes and Google Play and Amazon. Uh, in addition, uh, we have responsibletechnology.org. Please sign up for our newsletter. Keep, keep, keep in touch with us that way. Uh, we have a Facebook page for both the Responsible Institute for Responsible Technology and for Secret Ingredients. And if you want to know more information when it becomes available, go to healing go to healingfromgmos.com and sign up. And when we put that out again, it's an amazing series with some fantastic doctors who are sharing things that they people can do in addition to changing their diet that helps people detox, repair, and rebuild. Uh, yes, so I, that, those I highly the, recommend the, that as well. Uh, I've purchased a couple of copies of that as well. Anyway, we're coming and to we a also, close. We also have pets and we have pets and GMOs.com for people with dogs and cats. Oh, very important because I don't know what we're feeding our pets. But anyway, we're coming to a close. So there you have it from our expert about GMO and the importance for our health. So go check it out, share it with your neighbors, and so you can help yourselves and help others and be well. for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.